0: just lift your hands to the heavens begin to talk to Jesus let me hear your voice as you honor and appreciate the Lord
1: I I am am. your own till the the day you will come Jesus I am your own if you leave me now where would I go if you leave me now where would I stand Jesus Jesus you are my uncle for life you're my uncle for life If you leave me now, where would I go? If you leave me now, where would I stand? Jesus, 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 you're my uncle for life. If you leave me now, where would I go? If you leave me now, where would I stand? I am uh... the day you will come to the day you will come Jesus I am your till the day you will come to the day you will come Jesus I am your to the day you will come the day you will come Jesus I am your to the day Day will Jesus, come. Jesus, I am your Till the day you will come. Till the day you will come. Jesus, Jesus, I am your own.
0: Hallelujah! I'm excited this morning because your life will never be the same. Glory to God. Now I need your hearts to be opened. Father, pray into the hearts of your people. I ask that your hearts be opened. Flooded with the revelation knowledge of your Son Jesus. Fill them with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That they will walk worthy of you unto all pleasing. Let me not fear the faces of men. But stand as the of, servant of Christ. And utter the very oracles that will bring transformation. Let this word bring them cleansing. Let this word bring them conviction. Let it not be a message. Let it be life. Cause this word not to come in word only but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance that they will look like you in every way in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, we're being on a series we've been discussing. The Holy Spirit is sharing something amazing with us on the battle for purity. And this I believe is a very crucial subject in these last days because one of the tools that the devil is using to destroy the church today is lust, And this is a serious matter. Anybody that has followed this teaching well, something should happen to you by now. If nothing is happening to you, that means your heart has been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Today is part six, I believe. If you have not followed this teaching, please go to our podcast and get that teaching because it will really transform you. You need this message in this time. The church must be discerning to know what God is doing and what the devil is doing. We explained last two weeks that there are three agents for cleansing. Like we said in the Old Testament, there were three agents for cleansing. The first agent for cleansing in the Old Testament is number one, blood. The second agent for cleansing in the Old Testament is number two, water. The third agent agent for cleansing is number three, fire. In the New Testament, we have it in a more real order because the Old Testament was a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. So we said in the New Testament also there are three agents of sanctification or cleansing. We said number one is blood which is the very blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this happened without us. When Jesus died his blood was shed and anyone that believes Jesus Christ is cleansed. That's a positional cleansing. We explained that in First Corinthians 6.12 he says but you are washed. You are sanctified. So the believer is washed and sanctified. In Revelation chapter 1, the verse 5 and 6, the Bible says we have been washed. We've taken a bath in the blood of Jesus. By one offering he perfected forever them that are sanctified. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 from the verse 9 and 10, he says, Therefore, both he that sanctified and those who are sanctified are all of one. And therefore, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. So that means that Jesus Christ sanctifies the man that believes in him. So the believer is positionally a sanctifying being in First Corinthians chapter 1, the verse 30. The Bible tells us it is of him that he are in Christ Jesus who has been made unto us righteousness, redemption, sanctification, and wisdom. So Christ is a sanctification. So positionally. We have been sanctified and Christ is our sanctific- sanctification. So it's the first agent of, of cleansing, the blood of Jesus. The second agent of cleansing, like we said, is the word of God, which is water. In Ephesians chapter 5, the verse 26, the Bible says that he might sanctify or cleanse or wash her by the washing of water by the word. So the word of God is spiritual water. In John 15, 3, he says, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So the word of God is a cleansing agent. And that one is not positional. So Jesus has cleansed that. So the believer is cleansed. The devil can never tell you you are impure. Anytime you are praying, you must know that you gain access into God's presence. Not because you were good in the course of the week. You gain access and confidence in prayer. Because Jesus' blood gave you that access. Listen to me. If you are a believer you don't know this reality, the devil will play the mess with your life. And there are many people who are living in condemnation because they don't understand this reality. Yes, we advocate for people to live righteous lives. But there is a foundation. If we miss that foundation, people will try to live morally upright without the strength of God. And that is where the problem lies. You must first know you are sanctified before you can live a sanctified life. Praise God. So the blood of Jesus gave us access. Never ever think you are right before God because you did some right thing. You are right before God because Jesus did the right thing. He shed in shedding his blood. And through faith in his blood, you have been justified, washed, and cleansed. Tell someone, I'm so clean. Like so clean. Hallelujah. So faith is our wash. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we are washed. Tell someone I'm washed, I'm clean. So the second agent is is water, which we call the Word of God. Where that one is not positional, that one comes by obedience, by submitting yourself to the Word of God. So in James chapter one, the verse twenty-two down to twenty-five, the Bible says that be doers of the Word and not hearers only this particular agent of sanctification is not objective. It is subjective. That means it cannot happen without you. So, God's word loses its cleansing power when the believer loses his obedience. You restrict the potency of God's word. You know, God's word created this world. That means God's word is powerful. But I'm telling you, God's word can be powerless in your life when you don't obey it. So this second agent of sanctification comes by obedience. It's subjective. It's a subjective experience. If you don't obey it, you won't see that cleansing. The third agent of sanctification, we said it is what you call fire. In the New Testament, it is the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost descended, he came as cloven tongues of fire in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit appeared to Israel in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so fire represents the cleansing power of the Holy Ghost fire is a cleansing agent and the Holy Spirit is representing fire because he has a sanctifying responsibility in the life of the believer anybody who genuinely walks with the Holy Spirit will be purified by the Holy Ghost the Holy Ghost will forbid you from doing certain things. He will tell you to apologize to your wife when you offend her. It will be difficult for you to do it. But when you listen to the Holy Ghost, he cleanses you from there. He will tell you to sow some seeds and some moneys empty, some monies that you have. And if you don't listen to him, you cannot be cleansed. Yeah, sometimes you want to go somewhere, the Holy Ghost will forbid you from going. Sometimes you want to do some bad stuff, you, you find the Holy Ghost restraining you. These are all His sanctifying abilities. And when we reject them, you will land in trouble. The sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost is what we call spiritual discipline. We call it the chastisement of God. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 12, from the verse 5 to the verse 14. That God chastises those He loves. When you keep listening to the Holy Spirit, because He is in every believer, you must come to a point where you stop saying something told me. It is the Holy Ghost that told you. And he speaks to us every single time. And he has a ministry in our lives. Hallelujah. So, let's quickly go into today's message. Let me get you some verses. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the verse 19. Now, I need you to listen to this teaching carefully because something will happen to your life. That's what I can say to you. Now, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, this is also a scripture or a verse for sanctification as a practice. Now, you know, because the message of grace has not been well taught many, people only understand the positional aspect of grace and they carry only that one to their distraction. But the message of grace is a very beautiful message when we understand the totality of the message now you need to understand that the new testament has two main things we call it doctrine and instruction doctrine establishes the believer in the faith instructions actually becomes the outline for the believer's walk practical walk if a believer knows doctrine and that doctrine is not producing a life worthy of his call as a christian that christian is fake Doctrine without instruction is like walking on one leg. If you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it must produce the fruits of righteousness. If the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart, you must be a loving believer. You can't say you have the love of God and can't forgive. That's fake Christianity. is a very important thing I'm teaching here so in the next verse that's the verse 20 so we are saying that sanctification is both positional and experiential when you are reading your new testament you need to understand positional realities and experiential realities positional realities are things that Christ has done for us without us there are things jesus did for us from the cross to the throne which we have no contribution except to receive it by faith these are positional realities you are not righteous by what you do you are righteous by what christ did but you see in the effect of that gift of righteousness you receive it must produce a certain fruit so, God expects that we understand our positional work and our experiential work. The experience, experiential realities are realities that find expression in your day-to-day activities. That's experiential. There's nobody who says, my Christianity is in my heart. The end goal of Christianity is not in your heart. It must be in your act. If people are not seeing it in the way you talk, in the way you dress, in the way you Conduct yourself, that Christianity is questionable. And today we have many people who said, I won't go to church. Why? Because my Christianity is in my heart. You don't get this thing. Faith must always produce a certain work. We call it the work of faith. That means faith must produce something. If you truly believe Jesus, there is something about Christ you will show forth. To be an evidence of the man you truly believe. So we have positional sanctification and practical sanctification. I'll give you an example of practical sanctification. Give me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1. Now watch that. He says, Furthermore then we beseech you brethren and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as he have received of us how you ought to walk and please God. So do you see in the New Testament positionally because of Jesus, we have already pleased God. Now practically, we are taught to walk in a way that pleases God. So this is where the confusion is. You see a scripture says that we have been perfected by one offering, Hebrews 10. But now the Bible says He gives some to the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists for the perfecting of the saints. Ah, I thought these saints have been perfected. So if you don't understand Positional and experiential realities, you make big mistakes in your Christian faith. So he says, No, come back to First Thessalonians 4, the verse 2. Now he says to please God, and so you abound more and more. So in pleasing God, we are to abound, we are to increase in it. But you cannot increase in your positional pleasure of God. In the same way, you cannot increase in righteousness as a gift. You can't increase in it. Your righteousness is a gift received. It's it's not like the full price that goes up and down. It is a person who is the same yesterday to them forevermore. But in your conduct, you can grow. You can bear more fruits of righteousness. So this verse in the verse 2, come back there. Verse 2. He says, for ye know what commands or commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. So do you see that there's a difference between Old Testament commandments and New Testament commandments? The Old Testament commandment was not evil. It was good. But man was spiritually dead. So the law is not bad. The Ten Commandment is not bad. The challenge was that it was man that was bad. How was he bad? He was dead. If I go to the hospital and I go to visit my best friend and I'm told your friend is dead, I ask, what killed my friend? And they tell me, bad eating habits. So I quickly go to my car and I take a very good book, healthy book on Reader's Digest. And I come to the dead body and I say, dead body, when you wake up in the morning, you have to go to the gym. Dead body, you have to eat a lot of carrots. Dead body, drink a lot of water. What am I doing? I'm reading a very good book, but to a dead man. And dead men don't respond. That was what the law in the Old Testament was. The law was good, but man was dead. So man did not need law. He needed life. So that is why when Jesus came, he did not come to give us law. He came to give us life. Because when you are alive, you respond. So he says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So, you see, so in the New Testament, there are still commands. But those commands don't carry the punishment that we have. Don't carry the punishment that the Old Testament had. Why? Because Jesus took every punishment that you face between you and God on the cross. I'm teaching good here. So in the New Testament, there are still commands. But first uh, John 5 tells us his commandments are not in some. Why? Because he knows the Holy Ghost will help you to obey them. So he says, For this, uh-uh, come back to First Thessalonians. He says, For ye know what commands we give you by who. So Jesus gives commands. You know, I've seen people who go to the extreme of grace saying in the New Testament, there are no laws, there are no commands. Well, we see one here. And he went to the extent of calling that command the will of God. He says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Ah, first Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ is your sanctification, positional. You are sanctified, positional. Now he says... My children, this is my will for you. What is the will? Your, 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 your purification, your sanctification, your holy walk. It is the will of God. Listen, any believer that walks in holiness is walking in the will of God. I'm sure someone is asking, Lord, what is your will for my life? Sanctification. Lord, show me your plan. Lord, appear and show. Hey, 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 hey. Sanctification. He says, "Your sanctification. This one is not Christ sanctification." He says, "Your, your, your. That's somebody. Your, your. Your sanctification. That issue. In case you don't understand, he said that issue. Abstain, and whatever the Bible says you can do, you can do. Your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. Look at the next verse. That everyone. That means not some." Not what? Some. He says, every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and what? And as someone says, how do I possess my vessel? It's a strong King James word. It simply means control yourself. Control yourself. Every Christian has the ability to control him or himself. You can choose by the power of the Holy Ghost not to do something and you won't do it. There is nothing like I can't stop in Christian language. Anyone who says that is ignorant. You don't know scripture. I can't stop. I started doing it from age 15. I can't stop. It's a lie. It's not Bible talk. No, I need to confront that belief system because it has been the excuse people use that I, it has been with me. They give birth to me like that. I was born in that home. That's what did. My father married four. Me too. I'm beginning to have uh, my condom. Uh, hey, hey, hey. You are using your father's mistake as an excuse to continue in what Christ has delivered you from. It's not me. It's not me. It is who? You see, you, see, you got to be delivered from that thinking. Oh, I'm teaching good here now. He says, Then each of you will control his own body, you have control over your body and live in holiness and honor. And mind you, that's control, is not you going to bring a woman and you're trying to control yourself. You, you shouldn't have brought that person in the first place because there's no control in that area. Self control is actually boundary. It is not when you are in trouble when you're saying, eh, eh, and you are eh, saying "E,, E you be ah. <laughs> you setting boundary is self control. Boundary is the self control. That's the self control. When it comes to me and the opposite sex, I'm very careful. When when I'm talking to uh, one eye. <laughs> you don't know this thing. Because I know I'm not a spirit being. <laughs> the day you hear your pastor has messed up, when you're listening to me, you listen with one ear. I lose my credibility. I can't trade that for anything. I can't trade that for one member to know that I propose to her aside my wife. Just the thought of that embarrassment before Jesus before the congregation alone is fear in my heart. That one alone is the self-control. <laughs> we can't. We can't. <laughs> come back to first Timothy you know when it comes to the Lord using you for his work people always think that it is fasting and prayer it is not always fasting and prayer you can fast and pray for thousand years and you will not be used enough because people don't get this thing this technicality look, he says, but in a great house talking of God's kingdom, it is actually a parable referring to God's kingdom, I know some of you, maybe this will not mean anything because you yourself, you don't want to be used by the Lord it, fine, that's okay because you may be thinking this message is not mean because I'm not into ministry, I'm not doing the Lord's work so, I mean God, I don't want you to use me, so talk to those who want to be used wait on I'm done he says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver. Even in your house where you are staying, you have different qualities of things that you have in the house. And he's saying that, but also of wood and earth and some to honor, some to Anna. He's saying in a great house, when you go there, there are items that are of value, gold and silver. And there are items also that are not of value, yet you are using all these things. You have some pirate bowls that you give to only visitors. It has gold on the edge. Those ones, even you, you don't use it. Am I right? You use it for honorable purposes. There are some houses they don't use air condition on the visitors there. I see AC in my house. I will not use it because I'm waiting for visitor. You know that's what our fathers taught us to do. Our fathers will have expensive things They will use it for the decor, decor in the house. Fifty years the thing is there. My father kept a decoder for twenty years. <laughs> we never enjoyed it. Some to honor, some to dishonor. Now, so, do you know that almost everything in your house can be used? Do you know that asisengra has use? Do you know that Paris bow has use? In the same way, Asanka also has use. But the kind of use is the problem. The rubbish collector, he has use. In other words, everything you find in your house, that great house, is usable. But what kind of use is it useful? Either for honorable purposes or for dishonorable purposes. Now he's telling us how we, we can be able to position ourselves to be used for honorable purposes. He says if a man that means there are conditions even in the new testament that's what people don't know he says if if there are conditions in the new testament if a man that means he's giving you an opportunity you can choose not to so if you are fasting praying hours this thing is not well checked in your life it could be a waste of time. He says, if a man therefore purge himself from this, he shall be a vessel unto Anna. Sanctified. I thought you were already sanctified. Now he's talking about the second level of sanctification. That man will sanctify and meet for the master's what? Use and what prepared unto every good work. So there is. A sanctification that was done by Christ, and there is a sanctification that prepares you for God's work. That one you must do it. That's the come. There are some church workers who never amount to anything in God's kingdom. There are some pastors who never amount to anything in this kingdom. There are some Christians who never amount. Meanwhile, there are Christians, God loves them so much. God loves you so much. But you'll be limited. Because it's a choice in the house. Different different things. Even this place, we have different different things here. Let me use it. If a man purge himself, this is the purity we are talking about. Purity in itself is a weapon. It's a weapon. Give the 20 to, to me in. Amplified. Let's read that again. He says, But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and what? Ettingware. That's Asanka. That's the way He says, And some for honorable and noble use, and some for menial and ignoble use. If the president of Ghana has come to visit you in your house, there are some things you will not expose. Are you getting what I'm saying? There are some things you not expose you will not bring your broom to the hall. Meanwhile, you use your broom, but you will not bring the broom to the hall. You keep the broom where they can't see it. If you can picture this thing very well, you understand why some Christians are more effective than others. Why some people are growing more spiritually than others. Why some people seem to be experiencing the love of God in another way that some other believers who know God loves them are not experiencing? Hmm. He says, and some for many an ignoble use. Look at the next verse. He says, so whoever cleanses himself, now look, from what is ignoble and unclean, who separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences? he says would then himself be a vessel set apart and useful for honorable and noble purposes consecrated and profitable to the master fit and ready for every good work that means not every Christian is ready part of the way of getting ready is purification sanctifying this body By you not being contaminated. Listen, I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, there are some Christians you must not, there are some movies you must you must not watch again. Is it bondage? No. This is how we are protecting our integrity as Christians. So we save ourselves from the contaminating influence of the world. Because if you are not a spiritually intelligent believer, there are some videos and movies that will corrupt you and this heart when it has been corrupted with lust it forgets about God speaking by experience one of the dangers of lust is that lust will always rob or erase God from your memory and your heart check it anytime you fall under the power of lust you don't think about God until you have done what you want to do that's what lust does to you and if it continues for a long time it will erase God from your memory you will say you love him but you lie listen, we want genuine Christianity I'm telling you, we want genuine Christianity, we don't want professing Christianity where Christians say what they don't mean at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 look he says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness please if you have a diary or notebook or something you are writing on we are going to explain all these things one after the other so you are going to write righteousness and unrighteousness He's giving you the big difference. So you, don't, you know there are people who don't want to offend people from other religions. So they say that we are all one. Listen, we are not one. And you see, the fact that we don't want to offend people does not mean we should hide the truth. We are not the same. And the Bible is telling us there is a difference between Christians and non-Christians. And we shouldn't be afraid. People will be offended. They will insult us. It's normal. But Jesus says, I am the way. We cannot treat that reality because we want to please people. In first John 5:13, he says, For this is the record, it's a testimony that God has given to us his son. Eternal life. He says, Whosoever has the son has life. Whosoever does not have the son does not have life. There is no middle ground to say we are all serving one God. I am telling you, we are not. The Bible is making the difference clear here. He says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'll I'll give you an example. To be unequally yoked with an unbeliever is like taking a horse and taking a donkey and trying to put a yoke for them to grace a field. Do you know that you need the same animal of same size to be able to put the yoke on them for them to graze the ground? You know that? When you are unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, it's like a horse and a donkey. Different heights trying to grace. That's the difference between you and the unbeliever. And mind you, he didn't say don't have an unbeliever who is a friend. The context of this is influence. Influence. So if you have an unbeliever and he has more influence over your life there is a problem. There is a big problem. There are Christian ladies who have joined girls, girls clique and they make money out of men and most of them go to church and they were influenced by unbelieving lady friends. how much do you need to eat? Listen, this issue we are discussing here is life and death. Because many have traded their future for a morsel of bread. Many Christians are insulting Esau, but the Bible uses him in the New Testament as many Christians. For a morsel of bread, he traded his best right. Do you know what it means to have a best right? For... Common bees for a pot of steel. Esau gave up his bed right. These are Christians who are careless. They don't care about eternal things. There are many Christians today who don't even believe that Jesus is coming soon. They are not eternity conscious. So they are, see, they always want to enjoy the future in the now. So they trade the future for the now. And they pay the prices later. You know the devil will give you a credit card Hmm? And you'll be spending money you don't have. Then later you owe him. That's how the devil has been doing it. Sin is like poison that has been covered with ice cream. You'll be licking, 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 licking onto your—you touch something that is bitter. In the initial stage, it will seem sweet. It will seem sweet. But before you realize, you have tasted poison. Any sin. That seems enjoying now. I'm telling you, it is just a matter of time. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's just a matter of time. So because God lost his children, he uses different avenues, like a teaching like this, to speak to his people, to speak to their, their hearts, for them to respond to God. There are some time as a believer, you have to take someone's number and delete the number there are sometimes as a believer you have to call someone and say you are not my friend again it is over between us get out of my life now you got to do it you don't know this thing there is a price there is a cost for everything you are doing it will pain you when you are out of that relationship it will pain you but that pain that you go through temporarily is better so you're going to take it, he says for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness that's the second group listen, he's, he's giving us some deep stuff here, I'm going to explain, you'll be shocked so now my first group is righteousness and unrighteousness second group is light and darkness, this is still a comparison now look at the third group he says what concord has Christ with Belial this is sweet Then he says, what part has he that believeth with an infidel? Look at the next group. Next verse. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He says, for ye are the temple of the living God as God has said I will dwell in them, walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Next verse. He says, wherefore, come out from among them this is New Testament talking to Christians. Come out from among them. This is talking about separation. Come out from among them and be what separate. Say yet who, the Lord, not Moses. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will explain what it means by that soon. Next verse. And I will be a father. Is God not a father? Why is He making it look like a promise? Listen, I battled with this thing until the Holy Spirit explained it to me. Because God is a father. Why is He saying, "If you don't do this, then I'll be your father"? I will explain soon. He says, "And ye shall be my sons." Are we not sons of God? He says, "You shall be my sons and daughters." Said the Almighty. Let me explain. Now, we took the first group, right? What was the Apostle Paul telling them in the first group of people? Righteousness. And unrighteousness it describes the whole sphere of moral behavior so the first group which is righteousness and unrighteousness is speaking of the moral behavior of both the unbeliever and the believer so when he says what agreement or what fellowship has righteousness and unrighteousness he's speaking of the moral behavior of the two one will always do what is unrighteous. One will constantly do what is righteous. inasmuch as much as he may make mistakes. Or have weaknesses. He's saying that believers should be known for his righteous living or moral living. So one of the things that tells a difference between a believer and an unbeliever is his moral behavior. That is what he's saying. What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Speaking of moral behavior. That's number one. Number two. Light and darkness has got to do with intelligence to, to the, as to the things of God. Light and darkness has got to do with the intelligence as to the things of God. Intelligence into the things of God. That's light and darkness. The unbeliever is not only in darkness, he is darkness. He is ignorant. The believer has light and he himself is light. So, The believer has touched some intelligence in God, the unbeliever, that has not touched yet. So, that means that the unbeliever, what he's doing, he's not aware. He's blind. He's darkness. So, the Christian cannot have an excuse for not walking in the light. So, the second comparison is speaking of spiritual intelligence into the things of God. There are some things you know about God And because of that, there are some things you can't do. The unbeliever is living in darkness. And in his darkness, he does not have the intelligence. You know, a dog can sleep with another dog publicly in front of a group of people. And the dog does not, he he does not fear. Unbelievers can behave that, in fact, there are three kinds of men. We have the natural man, we have the carnal man, and then we have the spiritual man. The natural man is one who does not know the Lord. The word natural man in the Greek means animal man. So there is no difference, technically speaking, between an animal and an unbeliever. Animals move by impulse. What they feel like doing, they do it. What they think like doing, they do it. That's how a man who has not made Jesus thinks, Because he's in charge of his own life but you see, there are some of you, there are some things your, your conscience just doesn't want to, it is because you are light it's because you are light, there is a certain light in you, a certain intelligence you have about God have you seen that? number three Christ and Belial it says what conquered as Christ and Belial now that describes the realm of authority In other words, the person or thing whom one acknowledges as master in his life. The person or thing whom one acknowledges as master in his life. So, Christ and Belia is referring to the realm of authority. Who is in charge of your life? Who is master? So, he's saying with the unbeliever, Christ is the authority over his life, which he acknowledges. With the unbeliever, Belia, an idol, or a demon, or a devil is in charge of his life. That's what the Bible is saying. So he's giving a comparison that the believer is ruled by Christ. That means Christ becomes his master. And if Christ is your master, you don't walk by feelings. You walk by obedience. I've told you there is a reason why Jesus is both Savior and Lord. As Savior, he saves you. As Lord, he rules you. As Savior, you must believe him. As Lord, you must obey him. And if Jesus is not Lord of your life, he is not Lord at all. So there are many who are professing, I am saved. Christ is my salvation. I am born again and I speak in the Holy Ghost. But that's all there is. They are saying, "I'm born again, I'm born again, I'm born again." That's their only language they know. They have not acknowledged the Master. So he's saying the difference between the believer and the unbeliever is who one of them acknowledges as Master in charge of their lives. I am telling you, if many Christians have acknowledged that Jesus is truly Master over their lives there are some things they will never think of doing. You don't know who's in charge of your life. I'm telling you. Unbelievers do what they do with confidence because they know who's in charge. They know how they won the election. They know how they won the votes. So they sacrifice bingi. They are faithful to the altar they are worshipping. They don't make mistakes. Every six months they service it because they know who rules their lives it is only Christians who, who don't acknowledge who is in charge of their life who their master is so a believer will actually prove that he is a believer by how he behaves concerning who rules his life next he says, what part has the, he that believed with an infidel this is speaking to faith it is the realm of faith What have you believed in? Who have you believed in? So, you you separate yourself from the influences of an unbeliever because of your faith, what you have come to believe and who you have come to believe. Many of you have never said no to certain options unbelieving uh, people have given to you. You have not been able to demarcate it. Even my pastor friends, there are some things they can't suggest to me. They can't because I've drawn the line. This is what I believe in him. Some of you are loose believers. Loose believers. Anything goes. Anything goes. If it sounds good, sometimes the doctrine you have believed may not sound good, but that is what saves you. Number five. He says, what agreement has the what? The temple of God with idols. Now this has got to do with the whole subject of a person's worship. Look at how Paul is addressing this issue of influence. So the influence can be in moral behavior. It can be in faith. It can be in intelligence to the things of God. It can be with the realm of authority. and can be with worship. So the believer worships God. The unbeliever worships something else, Instead of they are worshiping the devil or worshiping themselves. And surprisingly, many believers have not made that acknowledgement clear. We see believers during time of worship, they are looking at the one leading the worship. You don't know who you are worshiping. That's why you are behaving that way. Someone left a song, thanking God for the great things He's done for us, and you are watching. We don't know this thing. There are some of you you have to lie down on the ground. Lie down prostrate whether there is space or no space. Find a space. You lie down. You you kneel down. The, thing, the things God has saved you from delivered you from how far you have come is by grace. You have never worshiped him as God. Ever. And that's how we prove the difference between us and God. We worship Some of you in a church or when worship songs are being sung, you behave like you don't know anything about Jesus. A pastor is preaching a good message in a car. A good message in a car. You behave like you have not heard him. Put earpiece in your ears. Listening to who? Chris Brown. I understand. I know. You don't know who you worship. some people can weep for their boyfriends and girlfriends. They can weep, little. They weep. They weep for their boys and because the boy is giving her hard time, the girl is giving him hard time. Obesu sir. From morning to evening, what is wrong? Jacob, Jake, oh, Jake, 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 Jake. Ah, We are doing worship. Worship. Lift up your hands. Oh. Oh, why is just service keeping long like this? Eh? Like, listen, we, we are busy people. you don't have time. Hey, we have never cried before. If you have cried this year for the Lord, lift up your hands. Let me see. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what is going on. I don't like what is going on. Angel of death, activate. You have never cried for the Lord.
1: mean to me me da wasi mean to me me da wasi